Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris and this is Season 2, Episode 5, PJ Harvey. It's just me today. No Matt, but that makes up for the fact that you would have missed my voice last week when it was uh, Matt and guest host Poppy looking at musical conspiracies. You can take off your tinfoil hats now because we're back to the normal proceedings. We're going to be looking at PJ Harvey and yeah, it's an interesting one. Interesting one. I didn't realise how little I knew about PJ Harvey actually. But uh, but we'll come to that. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Chris's world. Things have been a bit wild here in the UK. We had a long weekend this last week. Sun came out for a little bit, but then the heavens opened and it's barely stopped raining for, uh, it feels like, I don't know, about a week. It's second week of June now. And last night I had to light the fire. It was so cold. So, I mean, it's a very disappointing show. When, when the sun is out, uh, uh, we did have... We did have sunshine for the first couple of days of our extra long weekend. And when the sun is out, I listen to sunshine music, which is, at the moment, is country music. I've um, my, my love of country has been reignited recently. And I've been listening to American Heartbreak by Zach Bryan, which was a record that was recommended by... I mean, it was, was recommended, but it was also the subject of an episode of Western Sounds podcast, which I would strongly recommend. Casey Budge, who hosts that podcast, also did a review of American Heartbreak by Zach Bryan on superfannews.net. So go over to Superfan News and, and check out his review, but also listen to his episode about that record um, because it makes you want to listen to it, listening to, to Casey talk about it. It's really good. It's it's a, It was a slow burn for me, that one. Um, it, he's got, I didn't know Zach Bryan's music before listening to American Heartbreak. But he's got a very unique voice, I think. Oh, I, uh, I don't know. He's got a very recognisable voice, and it's it's not uh, it's an acquired taste, I think. I don't think it's a it's a voice that you immediately like. He's a classic example of you don't necessarily need to hit every note perfectly, um, and have have smooth tone to to have an enjoyable singing voice. You know, he's he's got grit to him. Uh, he's is very raw his singing voice, but I I like it. It's got it's got life in it. It's got history and stories to tell. And his songs really paint pictures. It is what it is, you know. It's, it, listening to it mate, takes you away to a different place. It's a it's a monster of a record, though. I can't remember how long it is, but it's maybe close to two hours or maybe longer. I'm not sure. It's, it's a really big record, really big record. Um, but I've been enjoying that, and I've also been enjoying... Uh, an album that we've talked about on the podcast before because we did a whole episode about the guy, Sturgill Simpson's Cutting Grass Volume 1, which is the album that got me into Sturgill Simpson. And I've gone back to that this week. I had a long drive to do a couple of days ago and I had that on on the way there and on the way back and it's such a good, such a good record that is. I, I wish that A, Sturgill Simpson hadn't just disappeared off the face of the earth because he has. And I also wish he did more bluegrass because I think that I think that these country songs that he's written in, and then played in the style of uh, in, in the bluegrass style, it just they just work perfectly. They work so well, and it complements his voice. This style, the, the playing on cut and grass is is phenomenal. It's just fantastic. It's just a fantastic record. Please, please, if you don't know Sturgill Simpson, then please listen to it. And if you do know Sturgill Simpson but you aren't familiar with this this bluegrass effort, then definitely check out Cut and Grass Volume One. Uh, volume Two is also good, but it's so for those that don't know or haven't listened to the episode, then um, yeah, there's there's two two records, Volume One, Volume Two of Cut and Grass, 
and they're both the same thing in that they've taken old Sturgill Simpson songs and they're played in a bluegrass style and I just like the first first record more because the selection of songs uh, I just prefer the selection of songs uh, but the second one is, is is just as good as well but yeah Cut and Grass Volume 1 definitely check it out and also go back to Season 1 of Superfancast and listen to our episode about Sturgill Simpson funnily enough that episode is our best performing episode ever uh, I think think or it may have just been overtaken by kings of convenience but yeah until recently more we've had more downloads of that Sturgill Simpson episode than any other which was very surprising because I, I had no idea that he was he was that big Matt had never heard of him but yeah it's a it's a great record please listen to it uh, just just one other mention as well just one other record worth mentioning that I have listened to recently but not enough I need to listen to it more and this one's going to come as a surprise I think to some people but this last record I want to mention is Folklore by Taylor Swift. Dun, dun, dun. It's really good. Oh my god, it's good. It was also recommended to me by another podcast. I can't remember who recommended it, to be honest, but it was mentioned by some by another podcast and I thought, okay, fine, I'll, I'll check it out because I was uh, told that it was very different to to what we know Taylor Swift for. And it is incredibly different. It's I, I guess if you t- know Taylor Swift and you followed her career, maybe it's not a surprise to you. But to me, I I know Taylor Swift for for her pop offerings uh, up until maybe, I don't know, four years ago, four or five years ago. That's when it kind of fell off a little bit. But before that, she was just a megastar, wasn't she? Just topping the charts with with pop songs. And uh, this is folk and it's very ambient, spaced out, um, relaxing folk, very mature sounding, very mature and... I initially thought, well, this is hitting at a different demographic, isn't it? She's not she's not going for her normal fan base with this. But then I was discussing it with somebody on one of our regular Twitter spaces. And they pointed out to me that actually her normal fan base has grown up. You know, she's she's been around for a while now. And, and it's very true. You know, the, the, the screaming girls of the, the late noughties... Uh, they're no longer screaming little girls. They're they're women in their their late twenties, probably, uh, and so it is a more mature fan base. So maybe she is still going for that same demographic. They've just changed as people, and and their tastes have changed. But I really like it. Uh, I understand there was another album released around the same time, and I forget the name of that, and I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, but I've listened to folklore a couple of times, and I'm, I, I need to listen to it more. It's such an easy listen. It's 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 quite easy to have it on in the background and not um not really give it the attention that it deserves and that's probably a compliment that it's it's such an easy listen um but it means that i do need to listen to it a few more times to really really enjoy it um to its to its full but i've really liked that now i wanted to to quickly mention because it's very fresh on my mind the interview this week and i wonder who else has heard this because even if you're not someone who listens to the logan paul podcast you may still have heard about this, <laughs> but uh, Liam Payne from One Direction, he did an interview on the Logan Paul podcast this week, I think, about, about a week ago now. And oh my God, it was a shit show. It was <laughs> like, I mean, he didn't think so. I think he's, he thinks he absolutely nailed it. But uh, it, wow, wow, it was an eye opener absolute disaster for it was so cringy so cringy and then the papers have just been 
you know, every day for the last five days, there's been a new headline about about Liam Payne, something that he said, because you could you've got a week's worth of you've got a week's worth of cover stories there with with that one interview. It's about an hour long, the interview. I haven't seen all of it. I've seen about 30 minutes, I think. And there's so much to unpack in that 30 minutes. He's just so I'm not going to make any friends here with Liam Payne, but I don't think that's a risk. I don't think I was ever going to be friends with Liam Payne. So I'll just go for it. He's so arrogant in the interview so arrogant he talks about how basically one direction was put together as a platform for him simon cowell saw liam's face and thought yes we need to we need to <laughs> we need to make this man famous uh, and so one direction was a way of getting liam payne famous he he sees himself on on a level playing field with um with harry styles i, I think and, and that i think is quite funny just because of the time that this interview came out came out the same week that, that Harry's House came out or maybe a week after Harry's House came out which is it was Harry Styles' new new record and uh, which I haven't listened to I haven't listened to it <laughs> but but the wife likes it she likes a couple of tracks of it and yeah I mean that that album has just been uh, endless good reviews like I'm yet to read a bad review about it Twitter has just been blowing up with um, with praise for this record and then for for Liam Payne to do an interview the same week and and talk about yeah, I don't know I, I don't know it, it's just a very cringy it's very cringy I'm not doing a great job of of vocalizing it here uh, incredibly cringy he talks about feuds that he's had how fit he is now uh, what a great footballer he is does impressions that's, that's he does impression he does a Johnny Depp impression he does a Matthew McConaughey impression it's just all incredibly cringy yeah yeah but you know people like him there's no way that he'll see it that way he's going to walk away from that interview thinking he absolutely nailed it and he's going to look back at it and think oh yeah i nailed that uh it's it's very it's a very fun watch or, or listen you know i watched the video if you go to Rolling Stone, you can see the video i'm sure you can find it on youtube or something yeah it's great it's a good watch <laughs> um speaking of harry's house i mean it is, has been a a monster of a record and i haven't listened to it yet but if you have and you've got an opinion on it because there seems to be endless opinions on it i mean the the social medias are just full of people leaving their one paragraph reviews but if you've got more than a paragraph to say about it then then make sure you go to superfannews.net and leave a review there so yeah that's about it that's that's enough talking from me uh no it's not it's a lie you've got another hour of talking from me let's take a look at pj harvey Okay, superfans. Polly Jean Harvey is a singer, songwriter and musician from Dorset, England. After a short period in Bristol-based experimental band Automatic Delamini, her career proper began in 1991 under the name PJ Harvey. This was initially a band made up of Polly Jean, Rob Ellis on drums and Steve Vaughan on bass. After two studio albums, the group split and Polly Jean continued as a solo artist. Her sound has evolved over nine further studio albums, both as a solo artist and collaborating with John Parrish, to span multiple genres and influence countless artists. In 2011, she became the only artist in history to win the Mercury Music Prize twice, and in 2013 she was awarded an MBE for her services to music. PJ Harvey is widely considered one of the most influential and respected artists of her generation and continues to release music and tour to date. So there you have it, PJ Harvey. Now, uh, my history with PJ Harvey is going to be pretty quick, I think. I don't have a massive amount to say, and I'm, I'm, I was surprised by that, to be honest. This, uh, 
I believe PJ Harvey was suggested to Matt by a listener. One of those cases of somebody suggesting something but doesn't want to be the super fan, uh, which is fine. Uh, so when Matt said, hey, let's do an episode on PJ Harvey, I thought, okay, I, I know PJ Harvey. That's fine. I, I like her stuff. This isn't massively new to me. And then when I sat down to think about it, I realized I don't know her stuff. Uh, I think I just know her name. And I remember that around sort of the late 90s and early noughties when I was really getting into music, her name was... It, it was I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say it was everywhere, but she was definitely a, a name at that point. It was very prominent in the music world. And everyone who knew music knew her. There were songs that, having researched the episode now, I definitely knew, 100% knew. But I don't think I could have named anything apart from This Is Love. And that, and that's about it, really. I, I certainly remember around the early noughties and the late 90s, I was very, very familiar with who PJ Harvey was. I probably would have recognised her. And the research here has been, um, it's been big eye-opener for me. And listening to her music has also been a, a massive eye-opener because actually uh, there's only really two records that have a sound that I uh, that I remember from hearing like on the radio around that time, around those, the early years for me of getting into music, you know, when I was like 15, 16. Yeah, there's only probably two records that remind me of that sound. The rest of her stuff is, is very new to me. When it, when you could put it on and before researching the episode, I wouldn't have been able to say this is PJ Harvey. So yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting journey for me, but but from from a base of almost zero. Yeah, so it's been exciting. If this is your first time here, then welcome. I'm really happy that you found us. And what is about to happen is I'm going to ask five questions to help us discover a little bit more about PJ Harvey. I'm then going to package up those five questions and throw them at a self-proclaimed superfan. And this week's superfan is Jan from Germany, who I'll be speaking to a little bit later. Uh, we're going to be asking him those questions to find out if he is a superfan or a super fraud. But he's not going to be a super fraud, is he? Because we've never had a super fraud. So, question one will be at what venue was the disastrous debut performance for PJ Harvey? I'll give you a second in case you know the answer. Do you know the answer? No. So the answer to that is Charmouth Village Hall, which is not a particularly well-known music venue. In fact, I googled Charmouth. It is, uh, seems to be a very small village on the Dorset coast. And there is a village hall there. I mean, I don't know, I don't know which Charmouth Village Hall they're talking about, but there is a community hall in Charmouth and it does not look like a like a music venue. It's like a big, it's like a sports hall. <laughs> and uh, why was it a disaster? I hear you cry. Well, it was a disaster because they were playing. Uh, I don't know how well they were playing, but basically the, they cleared out the venue, the bar two people. Apparently there were two people left. And at which point the organiser or one of the people working there came up to uh, Rob Ellis on, on drums and said, uh, nobody likes you. <laughs> uh, and you can leave now. If you leave now, we'll still pay you. <laughs> so, I mean, so yeah, that it really was a, a bit of a disaster. I, I just want to quickly say, actually, uh, before going on, that to start with, there that, that seems to be some amb ambiguity at the beginning of her career as to whether PJ Harvey is the professional name of Polly Jean or the name of the band that she fronted at that time. 
I mean, now she is a solo artist called PJ Harvey. But to to avoid any confusion, I'm going to refer to her as Polly Jean for, for most of the episode. Um, so when I'm talking about PJ Harvey, it's the it's the artist and Polly Jean is the person. So it was it was the PJ Harvey trio, as they're, as they're affectionately known, uh, that, that played in uh, Charmouth Village Hall. And that trio is uh, Polly Jean, Rob Ellis on drums, and uh, originally it was Ian Oliver on bass. And I believe, so Ian Oliver knew Polly from Automatic Delamini, which we'll talk about in a bit. And I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong. I don't really know how they want me to pronounce that. Spelled D-L-A-M-I-N-I. Delamini. Um, yeah. And I've seen some, so, yeah, I've seen some shows around this time. I mean, this was early 1991, I guess, this um, this disastrous performance at Charmouth Village Hall. But I've seen some performances a bit later in the year. I, I have watched a performance at Yeovil College in 1991. And the recording quality wasn't brilliant. But Polly Jean was serious about the performance. She had power in her voice. The delivery was interesting. She had character. There was a, a, sort of a naivety in their playing and, and the stage presence. That's that's for certain. But, um, you know, they were together. And I've seen way worse early performances from bands. So, I mean, it, it was not the worst performance I've ever seen. But, you know, I, I think those early years, they were quite angry. <laughs> no, that's not fair. That's not fair. They were definitely a bit punkier. They had a much punkier sound than the uh, the more familiar sound that uh, people who are perhaps not PJ Harvey fans are familiar with from around 2000 and later. So it was just certainly a bit punkier. And I guess an early doors punk band who are still discovering their sound can sound a little bit, um, a bit of an assault. A bit of an assault, I think is the nicest way to put it. Uh, but there you go. That was their disastrous debut performance. So just a bit about Automatic Delamini. Because that's where Polly Jean, first, well, that was her first band that, that she was in, I believe. You know, maybe she was in bands before that that just aren't on the internet that, you know, people don't talk about. But she joined them in 88, I believe, providing guitar, vocals, and the occasional saxophone. I haven't heard any tracks with sax on it. I have heard, I have heard a few tracks from uh, Automatic Delamini. Very broad sounding. Uh, spanning a number of different genres, but it's, it's very experimental music. They formed in 1983 uh, in Bristol, formed by John Parrish, who she goes on to have quite um, a solid relationship with John. He's, he's an integral part of most of, of uh, Polly Jean's career, actually. But yeah, she spent a couple of years with Automatic Delamini. She, she toured with them quite a bit. I mean, uh, I think, uh, I forget, I haven't written it down, but I think she toured in Europe with them. She, she travelled quite a bit, and she would have been pretty young at that point, I think. Yeah, early 20s, maybe? Was that 88? Six? Yeah, I think like early 20s. Late teens, early 20s. But then in time, she uh, she split with them, and she started this um, the, the PJ Harvey group, uh, the, the trio, as it was as they were called. I mentioned before that Ian Oliver was originally on bass. He left before, I believe, before they released their debut album, um, before they really started making it big. I think he returned to Automatic Delamini, actually. And Steve Vaughan took over on bass. Um, so it became Rob Ellis, Steve Vaughan, and, uh, and Polly Jean. And they released an album called Dry, which I really like. Um, it's, it's, you know, when, when I'm doing the research for 
the, uh, the for these episodes i always I, oh, I tend to start at the beginning of someone's career and then listen through chronologically i haven't listened to everything that polygene has done but i've stuck you know i've stuck to her studio albums because she's surprisingly prolific there's a lot of music out there so i've just stuck to the studio albums but anyway i started with dry and it was a great place to start. You know, sometimes we do artists where the first album is a real tough listen and I struggle with it. I found that with, um, you know, Typo Negative's de- debut album was was difficult, a difficult listen for me. Um, but I, I really enjoyed a lot of their career. So it's not always a reflection of how the career is going to go, but it's it certainly affects how I, I do my research and how enjoyable the research is. But Dry is a great debut album. I think one of the one of the best debut albums we've we've covered here. It's got real authority to it, the, the way that she sings. The songs are really well-crafted. There's some real catchy tunes. Some, some, I'm sure she'll hate me to say it, but some poppy tunes on there. Um, Polygene's voice is great on, on, on that record. It's got real direction. And there's no, dis, it's got no ambiguity as to who this band is about. She is the star. I think on the, the following albums, I would have struggled... Oh, if if any of the following albums had come first, then yeah, it wouldn't have made the same impact. But Dry makes a makes a fantastic impact for for the band, um, for new listeners, and of course all listeners were new at that point. It was their debut, but uh, it reached number eleven in the UK, which is not to be sniffed at, and it's not not half bad for a debut from an unknown group. Automatic Delamini had no notable commercial success, I don't think, so they really were unheard of. So I think they did. Um, they did bloody well with that to reach number eleven. Well, there you go. That's their disastrous debut performance. Move on to question two. I hope these aren't too hard. Um, I haven't spoken to Jan yet. I hope these aren't too hard because I feel that <laughs> I feel that I've done done some pretty hard ones here. But then I, the last couple of episodes, I've thought I did super hard questions and then fallen flat on my face. So you just never know, do you? Question two. After the debut being released on two Pure Records, what label has PJ Harvey released all subsequent albums on? So yeah, the the debut album was on two Pure, not a not a label I know. And then after that, every album she's released has been on, or every solo studio album she's released has been on Island Records. So I'm sure we've talked about Island before on this podcast. As a minimum, we might have mentioned them on the Supergrass episode. Supergrass was signed to Island in the US. They, or they might have just been distributors over in the US, but I'm sure someone else has um, uh, has been on them. I can't think of who, but uh, Island are a, a, a pretty well-respected name. Yeah, so after the release of Dry in March 1992, that was the, the debut album, Dry, there was apparently a massive bidding war as a number of different labels wanted to take PJ Harvey onto their books. And this bidding war was won by Island somewhere in... in the middle of 1992 and she's been with Ireland ever since so it was either it was either a bastard of a contract or she's re-signed with them at some point because it's a, a good relationship gone on to release well at least nine other records on Ireland and I'm sure lots more I'm sure lots more because she's released so much stuff that I haven't listened to EPs and um, demos she's she's released she's done released demos of all of her studio albums I think now and she's released a number of EPs. She's done a, a, a soundtrack. So lots of stuff that I haven't listened to aside from her solo studio albums. So the follow-up to Dry was an album called Rid of Me. And it's very different sounding. To me, at least, it's it's very different sounding to that debut. It's much more raw and unpolished. 
and the songs aren't as catchy and easily digestible as Dry. There's definitely more of a punk vibe to it, kind of an avant-garde um, pushiness. I get. I, I don't know. It's 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 trying to trying to tell you something. It's got a message to it. I'm not entirely sure what the message is, but it's 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 trying to portray something. I'm I'm personally very into album openers. Uh, I like the way an album opens. I I feel that that sets a tone for the rest of the record. And the opening number for Rid of Me is the title track, Rid of Me. It's a really slow introduction, super quiet to the point that the first time I heard it, I actually had to turn the volume up so much that when the track kicked in, it blew my eardrums. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what she's going for. That introduction is two minutes long, two minute build up, which starts as silence, I should say. So it's two minutes. To begin as silence and then slowly, you know, the volume gets louder and, until we hit the first chorus. That's a long time, two minutes, and it's really it, that that two minute period is, uh, I don't know, it, it's it's different. It's a different vibe to, to dry. Let's just say that it's quite angry and angsty. The record, not not just the, the introduction. I mean, the, the the record as a whole is 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 quite angsty. I think on the whole, there's a slightly different delivery to her vocals, which is interesting, considering this was so soon after her debut. That might be me overthinking it or me being overcritical because I didn't really, the album didn't really click with me. But yeah, it, it sounds very different. And I wonder if that was that was intentional, that they, they selected the songs that they selected for Dry because it was a debut. And I wonder if Rid of Me is more of her personality. And they deliberately didn't, didn't include those tracks on a debut that they wanted to be a bit more successful. I'm, I'm not sure. This was the last album as the PJ Harvey trio, though, of Polygene, Rob Ellis, and Steve Vaughan. They just weren't getting on. I, I think there doesn't seem to be too many interviews online from around that time, and those interviews that I have seen don't mention their split at all. So they split at the end of '93 after a support slot on U2's tour. And then funnily enough, U2's manager, Paul McGuinness, took over as her manager. I don't know how long Paul McGuinness was her manager. Maybe he's still, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how long he was her manager. But yeah, he took over. He was U2's manager for 34 years. Can you believe it? Almost his entire working life, he was the manager for U2. But this isn't a Paul McGuinness episode. This is a Polly Jean Harvey episode. Well, one thing to say is, you know, I couldn't find much interview on the Polly Jean, sorry, <laughs> on the PJ Harvey trio splitting. And that's kind of the same for a lot of stuff in um, PJ Harvey's career. She's very quiet and she doesn't say a lot to the press. She's very reserved and she's very calculated as to what information she does give the press. And it's it's just amazing at someone who's been so prolific and has been in the industry for such a long time, made such a massive impression and you know so many awards and and so much respect. There's just not that inf much information about her. I, I couldn't. There's so much stuff I couldn't find out about her. To to get those interesting little tidbits of information that I would I would normally get for an artist, I just couldn't get it for uh, for PJ Harvey. I trawled and trawled to find you know, interviews that really dig into the you know, into her as a person or into her private life, and it just doesn't exist really. She's there's you can count all the decent interviews on one hand. Yeah, it's very surprising. Anyway, the follow up to Rid of Me was uh, Bring You My Love. 
And that's lauded as her first proper solo record, but I don't know where that distinction necessarily comes from, other than that she didn't use a fixed band for exactly. It had so many musicians on it, though, um, including the first appearance from John Parrish of Automatic Delamini. This is the first record of hers where John plays a part, and he continues to play a part for, I think, every record after this, and two collaborative records as well between John Parrish and, and Polly Jean Harvey. So the album opener for Bring You My Love, it's, it's really, I mean, you've got to listen to it. So listen to Rid Of Me, and then the title track being track one, Rid Of Me, and then listen to Bring You My Love, or To Bring You My Love, and listen to the opener, which is the title track, To Bring You My Love. It's so similar as an introduction. I mean, the track itself is, is a different track, but the introduction to it is, is, again, so similar in that it starts off really quiet, takes two minutes, it's almost bang on the two minute mark again, where it kicks in. I don't know, like I just I just need something a bit more at the beginning of a record. It's a very, very difficult start to a record for me to start off like that. I want to be shown what, what to expect for the next 40 minutes. Give me something to, to set the tone as to, to what to expect. But there we go. I mean, I mean that's that opening track on uh, To Bring You My Love, it's when it does kick in, really pained, drawn out vocals from, from Polly. It's five and a half minutes of that as well, and it doesn't vary too much. It's not a great, it's not a great opener. There are other tracks on there that I really like. Um, I love Come On Billy. I like the vocal melody and the way that she delivers it on that track. She, she strains into it. She can be really emotive with her voice. Uh, she's, yeah, that, that's one of her major strengths. There were so many other tracks on To Bring You My Love that could have gone in that that opening spot i don't know why they they choose those really slow starters but there we go yeah all, all interviews of her from, from like 93 to 95 that i've seen she comes across so young and gentle and fragile but then these performances that she can be a real powerhouse not just live performances i mean on, on the record you know a lot of these songs on uh, on rid of me and on to bring you my love there's some real aggression there and and she can sing with not just aggression, but also like horrific pain and turmoil in her in her voice. And then you see her interviewed, and she's got very gentle and delicate and naivety uh, about her, and such a major contrast. It really is. It's you would not expect her music to come out of her. <laughs> you know, if you saw her interviewed before before hearing her music, there's no way you would yeah you would suspect it. It's it's amazing. Question three. In the music video for Man Size, what does Polly Jean have in her mouth at the beginning? The answer is a rose. She starts the video. I mean, it's, it's for a, such a short period, really. <laughs> she starts the video with a rose in her mouth. And then the rest of the video, she's not got a rose in her mouth. But, you know, I was looking to find a fun fact about one of her videos. I really didn't find many fun videos. Like, the videos weren't that interesting, very artsy stuff. Uh, good, I mean, good videos, interesting's not the right word. Good videos, um, but nothing that makes a fun question, really. Um, because a lot of the videos are her, I mean, the, the camera focused on, on Polly Jean and her singing at the camera. So there, there wasn't nothing much for me to grab hold of and, and make a fun question out of. For Man Size, which is what this question is about, it's a cool video, but, but nothing much happens per se. You know, it's her head and shoulders, a head and shoulders shot of her singing towards the camera. It's very bold, and she managed to keep it. She manages to keep your uh, attention for 
however long it is, two and a half minutes or whatever, by just her singing at the at the camera. It's it's actually a very good video, but but as I say, no, nothing much happens in it. Man's Eyes was the second single off of Rid of Me, that second album. The first single was Fifty Foot Queenie, which is also a funky video. The band are playing against a white background with some ambig. I'm going to say ambiguous because I couldn't figure it out, but maybe if you study the video, you can figure it out. But it's got it's a white background with some graffiti sprayed on it in black, and they are words, but I I couldn't I couldn't make out what the words were. So maybe that should have been the question. I should have figured out what the words were and then asked what the words were. Damn it! I will see how Yen does. But yeah, in general, a lot of the videos are Polygene playing against a plain playing or singing against a plain background looking at the camera. So you can't not know her face because it's the prominent image in all the music videos and also the album covers, actually. Uh, the album covers for her, uh, all of her albums, I think. I've, I have to think about it. Well, well, we'll talk about it now. No, not all of her albums, sorry. The last, the last two. She doesn't feature on the last two. But I would say of all the album covers, the sixth studio album, which is called Aha Her, which is a bit of a mouthful, Aha Her, that would be my favourite. It's a slightly out of focus and just poorly taken image of her kind of grimacing into the camera in the passenger seat of a car. And the driver's in shot. I searched to find out who that driver was, but, you know, like everything that I've said, there's not a lot of information about it online. I couldn't find any information about it online. It's a really good. It's a really good picture, though. Yeah, it's a really personal picture. I like it. Let's let's go through. Let's go through the records so you can get an image in your mind. So for for dry, which was the debut, it's a close up image of what I assume is her mouth. Could just be anyone's mouth, but it's a close up image of a mouth. Very small text printed to the left hand side of the mouth. Very cool album cover. Very cool image. I really like that one. That's a that's a, a really memorable album cover. I, I really like the design of it. Rid of me is Polygene with her hair swinging. It's wet hair, and she's swinging it from, from right to left, leaving an arc of water and hair. And it's a, it's an okay image. It's, a, it's not my favourite. To bring you my love, she's floating on water. Very beautiful image, that one. A very Eastern looking with the flowery red dress and water, and her eyes are closed, looking very serene. It's a beautiful image. Do I think it's... I'm not sure if the image matches the sound of To Bring You My Love, necessarily. I think the I think for Rid of Me, I think that the album cover does match the sound of the record. But To Bring You My Love, maybe there's a bit of a bit of a mismatch there. Is this Desire is the next record. Two images side by side of Polygene. I think they're the same location, taken from two opposing angles. Might be wrong on that. Black and white, very artsy, not my favourite images. Then we get to Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. This is a very cool cover, and it's a very memorable, very iconic album cover. If you don't know PJ Harvey's music, you may still know this album cover. I think this record was pretty big for her. Uh, Maybe not commercially, it wasn't wasn't the most successful, but it's certainly stood the test of time, and it's, it's one that made as has made an impact certainly certainly at the time it made an impact it's a photo of her looking very cool on a new york street it's very fitting since the record is is well is not her new york album <laughs> i think she i think she made a point of saying that in a in an interview it's not her new york album because it's a bit of a cliche but it is a you know it's an album that was um conceived and recorded in new york and i'm sure we'll talk about it later we talked about aha her 
And the last three albums, so White Chalk, Let England Shake, and the Hope Six Demolition Project, they are um, they're a bit bland. These three albums, I think, are her not the best album covers, especially the last one. So we'll go through each of them. We've got White Chalk, which is an image of her looking an awful lot like Imogen Heap. <laughs> I don't, I've only just noticed that, actually. And she's sitting in a chair on a dark, in a white dress on a dark background, and the text is just very small to to the right-hand side of her. It's a it's a very interesting image. I mean, it's quite it's, it's quite an impressive uh, photo. Is it a photo or is it a painting? Maybe it's a painting. I've got quite a small image of it in front of me. But it's it's a it's an interesting image. But it just doesn't entice you. It doesn't make me want to listen to the record. Let England Shake is no image of Polly Jean. This is a sort of a black mass in the center, which as it dissipates, you realise is a collection of birds. Uh, it's, it's, I guess, thousands of black birds that are then making this mass in the middle because they're so tightly packed. And then in white text over that is Let England Shake. It's very simple. It's very simple. It's one, it's two colours, black and white. And uh, it's, again, it doesn't make me want to listen to the record. I'm being very critical here of, of Polygy. I'm so sorry. My, my intention was not to be critical, but I didn't come into this wanting to be critical. <laughs> it just sounds like I'm not a fan of a lot of her album covers. I am a big fan of Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, big fan of To Bring You My Love, and big fan of Dry album covers. So those three are, are wins. And then the last one, this album cover, The Hope Six Demolition Project, I, I actively dislike. Uh, it's... It's just not a good image, I think. <laughs> oh, God. Not making any fans here, am I? It says the Hope Six Demolition Project across the top in red text. And then sketched, it's it's kind of like a sketch, is a, a coat of arms with PJ Harvey in the banner. And there's like a goat on the left. And on the right of the coat of arms is a two-headed beast. I believe it's oh, like a wolf with two heads, maybe. But it's sketched in like a, a, a pen outline and the sketch it's just not very professional looking I, I'm just not a fan of it and again it's 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 the same in that it doesn't a it doesn't make me want to listen to the record and b having listened to the record I don't believe it's representative of the music that this record contains so I you know I'd be interested to hear what what the superfan thinks of um, of Polygene's album art choices but i think the hope six demolition project is a is, is definitely a miss and, and and let england shake as well i think is although it's the let england shake one is a, is a nice piece of art it's just not it's just not very enticing okay best move on before i sort of lose all our listeners and question four is which album is the only uk number one achieved by pj harvey which is a surprising question uh, you know for two reasons one the answer which is the hope six demolition project I'm very surprised that's her. That's the one that made number one. And two, I'm very surprised that's her only UK number one. I certainly would have thought that Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea would have uh, made number one. But apparently it didn't. Uh, in fact, it didn't even, it didn't do massively well. Uh, every In the UK, every album she's released has, has done slightly better. So this was her ninth and most recent studio album. It came out in 2016. It's a very interesting album. It's 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 very heavy. It's very heavy in in its content. Okay, so the album was a response to 
a trip Polly had made to Washington DC where she became familiar with the Hope Six project, which is an initiative to improve housing in areas of high crime, which then unintentionally leads to locals not, no longer being able to afford to live there, which then in turn leads to claims of social cleansing. Well, I, I, I suppose you could say in turn leads to social cleansing or claims of social cleansing. It's a very political album, very political. And it's not gone unnoticed. US politicians particularly have, have had a thing or two to say about it. Uh, people have, have made comments about, you know, was she right to voice these opinions from her platform? Couldn't care less personally. Um, you know, if, if that's what you want to sing about, and that's what you should sing about. And and if you feel that you've got if you've got a platform to to portray a message, then go ahead and and and, and share your voice. That's that's one of the benefits that she's got if she's got thousands of people buying her records and she feels that there's an important message to, to, to put across, then then go for it. But anyway, she also spent time in Afghanistan and Kosovo prior to writing. So in the words of a Rolling Stone review, she had witnessed the many costs of imperialist aggression. I couldn't have put it as, as eloquently as that. And that same review from Rolling Stone also said that this LP is a lot to process. And personally, yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. It is a lot to process. Did I like it? I mean, it's. I think she's she's proved by now, nine solo albums in, she's uh, a very accomplished, very talented musician. I think that the content of this record, it does not hide itself, doesn't shy away, or you know you don't have to read between the lines to to figure out what she's talking about. So if you're not ready to to listen to that message or go away thinking, then it's not it's not going to 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 click with you necessarily uh i think that's i think that's a, a fair review of, of the record it's not it's it's definitely not an album that i'm going to go listening to much again i think for me the the two records that that clicked most with me were dry and stories from the city those two i i love i think the hope's extermination project is very interesting record, but it's not one that you're. No one is. No one's chucking this record on, whilst they're doing the cleaning and singing along to it. It's not like that. It's a. It's a difficult. It's a difficult one to digest, and I think that's probably intentional. Commercially, it had some really interesting characteristics in that it was her first UK number one, and only UK number one, and the second week of release, it took an almost historically large drop, of twenty two places. It went down to number twenty three in the second week which is crazy so it's only there's only two records in history that have done a bigger drop in its second week so that's that's pretty crazy i don't have those two records off the top of my head (laughs) i did have earlier in the week but i don't have them now but it's i mean it's a massive drop you don't need you don't need to know what those two records are just to think that it was at number one second week went down to 23 now that's normally the sign of an incredible marketing effort for an album um, and the incredible marketing effort for an album that otherwise wouldn't have made it to the top. I think that's that's a fair statement. You know, it, it was a great marketing effort. And and maybe what happens is, and I'm not saying anything necessarily about the Hope's Extermination Project. I'm just saying that this is what would sometimes happen to cause this kind of effect is that the marketing means that everyone wants to buy the record before they've heard it. But after week one, 
and that first batch of people have heard the record and spread the word that they didn't enjoy it that much, the second week, not many people are going to buy it. Uh, and I think that's possibly what happened here because the marketing effort on this was phenomenal, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, where to, where to begin? Uh, the recording process. So this was recorded live in... Uh, live is portrays the wrong image. It was created in uh, sessions that were... Uh, live open to the public so they could watch it the public could, could watch it being created this was in somerset house in london it was essentially uh, an exhibit called recording in progress so the, the the public would turn up they'd have their mobile phones and any recording devices um i don't know you put them in a locker or something confiscated and then they would go down to this basement room and you look through one-way glass at Holly Jean and producers, uh, John Parrish and Flood. And you, I think you could, this was in 45 minute sessions. So each session lasted 45 minutes and it went on for a month between, uh, well, I don't know what between, but in, in January um, 2015. And yeah, so the public could, uh, could could watch it being recorded. So people people could see Polly Jean singing and, uh, during the recording process, but also playing. Apparently she could be, uh, she's reportedly during those live sessions was seen playing violin, harmonica, and hurdy-gurdy. I don't know what a hurdy-gurdy is, but if you do, please write into the show and let me know what a hurdy-gurdy is. If you're a hurdy-gurdy player, please get in touch. So there you go. That's that's the recording process. That's already a good effort to get people interested, <laughs> get people interested in buying this record. Now, the other big factor involved, I think, was the fact that her previous studio album, Let England Shake, which came out in 2011, that had amazing reviews and it won her a Mercury Prize, her second Mercury Music Prize. I think I said in the in the bio at the beginning that she's the only person in uh, in history in the history of the Mercury Music Prize to have won it twice, and this was the second time that she won it. So she won the Mercury Music Prize for that record, and then it was five years uh, before she released Hope's Six Demolition Project. So five years is a long time, a long time in music. So it would have been heavily anticipated. So, you know, people saw Let England Shake. Everyone went crazy about that. Everyone would have been saying, what's this next What's this next record going to sound like? Oh my God, what's she going to do next? Of course, the first week sales were going to be phenomenal. But then it, uh, but then it dropped off. But what, what an interesting record uh, and an interesting idea. And also, after your most successful record, to come back with this, it's so unexpected that the, the content of it, the inspiration and the, the overall message uh, and the sound of the music, it's not necessarily got the commercials in mind, I think. Uh, it, was a, it was a very interesting twist from her. She knows what she's doing, though, and, and she does what she wants. OK, so we've sped through these, but that's the case when we haven't got Matt shouting back at me. But we made it to question five. Question five is, in 2003... Polly Jean featured on the track Cruel Home by which alternative rock collective? Ah, oh, I'd be so, so pleased if our superfan gets this question because this is this was a real eye-opener to me. The answer to this is the Desert Sessions. The Desert Sessions, that, that's a rock collective founded by Josh Homme from uh, Queens of the Stone Age in around 1997. And yeah, they did a song called They. Well, we'll talk about who they are, but the Desert Sessions did a song with PJ Harvey 
in 2003 called Crawl Home. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting project, this. Um, I'll talk about it a bit, but not too much, as it barely involves PJ Harvey at all. <laughs> but it was founded by, by Josh Homm as almost music therapy, I guess, I think, to help him and others get back on the straight and narrow when they're feeling negative about music and uninspired and maybe hitting some writer's block or not not appreciating where they are in the world as, as much as they should be. So it's not a fixed group of people. Each session involves all sorts, and uh, and one of those happens to be Polly Jean. I don't know how she got into it, because again, can't find any interviews talking about it or any information about it. But she got in, got involved and uh, and recorded this one track, "Crawl Home." the The Desert Sessions, as the the collective is called, they've released a number of uh, number of records. Uh, each called like the Desert Sessions Volume One, the Desert Sessions Volume Two, and and obviously the lineups are, are very different for for all of those. Uh, Josh Holmes said about the Desert Sessions. He said, "quote You play for the sake of music. That's why it's good for musicians here. If for somebody that's not enough anymore, or that's not the reason behind you doing it, that's not your raison d'être." Then a quick reminder like the Desert Sessions can do so much for you. It's amazing. It's easy to forget that all this starts from playing in your garage and loving it. So yeah, that's that's what I mean by it's. it sounds like it's music therapy for, for musicians. And I think that Polygene has only ever featured on this and two other tracks. I can't find many features from her. She's she's such a prolific artist, but but all of her all of her music is her music. So she's she's not She's not moved around other people's studios too much and and, and popped up on other people's uh, albums too much. I, I think there's three tracks. So there's there's this one with uh, Josh Holmes group. Then there was a track with Nick Cave called Henry Lee. I'm I'm assuming it was when they were dating, which was around the mid nineties. Guessing it was around that time. And then there's a tune called Broken Homes by Tricky. And the fact that it's by Tricky, I'm guessing that was around the mid nineties as well. And that's it. I, I, I don't think there's anything else. If there is anything else, please get in touch because I'd I'd like to hear how how she fits into to other people's music. As I said, it's pretty reserved for a, for a career spanning three decades. She's been around for a long time. She's done so much. You would expect more from her. Not in a negative way. I didn't mean that in a negative way, but uh, expect her to be on uh, on more features. I think. Uh, I do want to call out one album that I haven't mentioned much. We've, we've gone past question five now and. There wasn't really an opportunity to talk about it too much, but Stories from the City um, really struck a chord with me, um, that, that album, and I didn't have a question about it, which meant that I didn't get a chance to talk about it. But as I mentioned, I was really getting into music by late 90s, early noughties. This album came out in 2000, I think, and not only did the album come out in 2000, but also it's got so many tracks on it that were being played on the radio at that time. I don't know how many of these tracks were singles for her or whether the album just did particularly well and um, and so that all the album cuts were also played but you know This Is Love is, is, is probably the tune that, that I the only tune that I could have named by PJ Harvey before going into this but then having listened to that album Good Fortune, Big Exit uh, they're all tracks that when I heard them again I thought oh yeah yeah of course of course I know that song 
So I mean, they were they were getting played on the radio around that time. And look, this is this is the poppiest record that she's ever made, definitely. And I'm not sure if that I don't know if that was an intentional move by her, but she didn't replay that. She didn't in in the follow up to to stories from the city. You didn't hear that same you didn't hear that same poppiness, and, and it didn't have that it didn't have that same sound. But then I think that's quite that's quite PJ Harvey, and that she doesn't she doesn't go back and do the same thing over and over again the only the only other album that has got a, a slightly poppier sound is dry it just happens to be the other album that i really like but but stories from the city is great and, and it's got such a distinctive sound to it all her music has a, a very distinctive sound there are definitely albums that sound less like that traditional pj harvey sounds that i could that i can pinpoint let england shake uh, and and white chalk are quite different to me I, I don't I, if you put white chalk on and I didn't know it was PJ Harvey there are certainly tracks there that I would not be able to uh, to identify you know if I was at a party or something and there were there are tracks on white chalk that would come on and I would not be able to go oh that's definitely PJ Harvey but stories from the city is the quintessential PJ Harvey sound for me of a man of my age and the age that I was in 2000 when that record came out that's the the PJ Harvey sound that I remember from <laughs> XFM and Radio One, and um, and it's a it's a really great record. So yeah, didn't have a question to talk about it too much, but I, I really love that record, and I really like Dry as well, and uh, really enjoyed listening to her music and discovering as much as I can about the woman. Tell me what you think. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to to see reviews of the episode because it's it's definitely been a really difficult one for me in finding obscure information about her or interesting information about her because it's just she's so reserved the interviews that you do see with her or read with her are very calculated i find she never slips up she she never slips up and gives you a little tidbit of information that you didn't expect she knows what she's um it's like she's been conditioned she's not you know she's not like she's not the selena gomez uh you know who who, who spent her whole life being conditioned by her managers and pr people on how you deal with the media i just think she's she's naturally quite a uh, quite a private person and, and doesn't feel the need to tell the world about what's going on so yeah a bit enjoyable as well and I'm so glad I discovered something about an artist who I feel is very important and to musicians perhaps more so here in the UK I, I certainly commercially she's done way better here in the UK but in the Twitter spaces that I've done over the last few weeks there are US listeners that that have, have heard of PJ Harvey and have respected her so she's obviously made an impact worldwide and it's been interesting to to interesting and important as well for me to learn more about her and who she is and that impact that she's made anyway that's enough from me isn't it that's enough from me let's head off to the future and speak to Jan and find out how much he knows about PJ Harvey I've only been listening to her very actively since February or March this year. So um, when you're going to put five questions to me, um, I think I will, very, I will have a very hard time answering them. But I think uh, what got me onto her was a video on YouTube uh, of a concert uh, of her doing uh, the Hope Six Demolition Project. And um, I found that incredibly fascinating and I still do um, and that got me to listen to to the rest of her music really 
and it got me to play her music because I play bass guitar and you know whenever I hear a nice song I, I like to play with it. Um, so in that way I've been very actively engaging with her music but I've only started listening to her very recently. Tenure is not always the most important thing. We've spoken to fans that are, are fairly new fans and sometimes yeah. sometimes when you come to somebody late in their career you end up diving uh, you know far deeper into it than the fans that have been steady for for many many years would yeah. you would you say that you've mostly just been uh, listening to the music or have you uh, sort of been consuming interviews and and, and also and articles about her mostly i've been listening to music um i'm reading her latest book all am at the moment um but i still have a lot of catching up to do and it's playing the music that's the, at the moment is my way of engaging with the music um, sure. But but when you do that, you tend not to uh, pay too much attention to the lyrics, for instance, which I think is something I should uh, start doing as well. Well, I think with PJ Harvey especially, because I've found that often when you start paying attention to the lyrics, it does completely change the, the music because yeah. um, her voice is very emotive anyway. You know, her, her voice yeah. and the music can often be portraying something very different to what, to what the lyrics are saying. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's what I liked so much about uh, the Hope Six Demolition Project. Because if you see these shows, it's three things coming together. It's the music, it's the lyrics, and it's the way it's being presented on stage. Yeah, and it's a, it's a massive message as well. The, 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 yeah, absolutely, the... absolutely. Is she, um, is she still performing? She is still performing now, isn't she? I think not at the moment, uh, but she has just recorded a new album that will be released next year. So oh, I right. hope that she will start performing then again. Oh, I didn't realise that. She she was doing some some book readings recently. That's right. Yes, yes, I know. Three in that. the UK and one in Denmark, I think. Okay. Well, you, you are right. I've got five questions for you, and uh, and I think <laughs> that they're I think that they're pretty tough questions as well. All right. So I. <laughs> I might end up as a fraud. Oh, we can't have our first fraud. <laughs> we can't have our first fraud. Well, let's see. Um, let's see how it goes. <laughs> let's see how we go. So, question one is, at what venue was PJ Harvey's disastrous debut performance? Um, let me think. Uh, I think it was in London somewhere. I read that. Um, Jesus, that's that's... Oh, it would be annoying if it is in your mind, but you can't reach it. <laughs> was it in Charmouth Village Hall? It was indeed in Charmouth Village Hall. There you go, oh, you're not a fraud. <laughs> saved, saved from disaster. There you go. You've got at least one out of five. Yeah, it's, it's the exotic Charmouth Village Hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, it, actually, it's a skittle alley in Charmouth Village Hall. All right. But I did Google Charmouth Village Hall, and it's, yeah. I mean, Charmouth is a, it's tiny. It it is a village. And, Where is it? Um, it's somewhere on the south coast, uh, Dorset right. coast. Ah, oh, Dorset. Yeah. Where she comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing very exciting about Charmouth Village Hall. So I guess it was like a, I don't know if it was a, a local community event and they they got got the gig. But yeah, yeah. Sound, sounds like it was a, a an awful performance. <laughs> I, I read something about uh, now that you mentioned this about an old lady coming up to the drummer and uh, asking him to please stop playing and we will pay you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> All the people walked out bar but, two. Yeah. 
but I'm sure they're not alone. I'm sure there's uh, there's plenty of other bands that have had debut performances just as bad. I as think that. everyone who plays music has gone through that through that kind of experience. Well, there we go. Well, there's a good start. One out of five. So question two. Let, let's keep yeah. it going. At question two. After the debut being released on two Pure Records, what yeah. label has PJ Harvey released all subsequent albums? That's a difficult one, especially in Spotify times. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, which is something good and something bad. It's good for the public, it's bad for the musicians. Uh, yeah. The label, um, let me think, too pure. I'm afraid I cannot answer that one. It's Island Records. Oh, Island. Jesus. Yeah. And it's, I think it's quite I, notable because she's, she's been with them since, which is a really long relationship with a, yeah. uh, with a label. Yeah, that's the kind of label you would expect her to be on. You know, it's not something exotic. No, no, I guess, no. All right. Um, all right, well, we're, we're still, at least we're not of fraud level. Doing well. 50-50 <laughs> so far. Yeah. Quest, question three, we've got a music video. In the music video for Man Size... Yeah. What does Polly Jean have in her mouth at the beginning? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> All right. You either know it or you don't. Yeah. She has um, she has a rose in her mouth. All right. I d have you seen I, I don't think I've seen that. No. Have you seen many of the music videos for her? Yeah, quite a few, quite a few. I did find that they're not very varied, her music videos. A lot of them tend to be her singing at the camera. Yeah. Now, I, thinking of it, I might have seen it. Um, anyway, doesn't doesn't matter. I'll I'll go and check it out. Yeah, but it's a good song, Man Size. Absolutely, that's one of the ones that I play. Yeah. And do you play in a in a group? Uh, not anymore at the moment. Um, I used to, um, but I found that it took up so much spare time. Um, yeah. And you find that most gigs are in the summer, and that means most rehearsals are in the summer as well. Uh, usually during the weekend, Sunday afternoons, uh, etc., when you really want to go out, you know, and, and not yeah. be somewhere in a rehearsal room where there is no light. Yeah, so you're, so you're playing for your own enjoyment now. So I'm playing for, for my own enjoyment, yeah. Yeah. At the moment, and who knows what the future may bring. And have you been working through her stuff, um, sort of in any, any order, chronologically, or just kind of the, the songs? Well, you know, that... as, uh, the Hope 6 Demolition Project was the first thing that, I came across and, and the album that really hit me. Uh, so I started playing all those songs. And then I went back to Let England Shake uh, and play all those songs. And, and then I started looking at, at videos I found on YouTube and uh, concentrating on songs that I have uh, seen her play live on those videos, mm -hmm. uh, thinking that they were probably either her favorites or favorites of the public. Sure. And so that's, you know, when you come across songs like Man Size and Dress and uh, Sheila McGeek, great song, uh, stuff like that. That's interesting because uh, because you've discovered her music that way around. I would say Hope yeah. Six Demolition Project and Let England Shake are very different to the hits that, um, well, the hits that I knew when I was growing up, which was, yeah, stuff like Dress and Sheila McGeek and um, yeah, anything absolutely. on the stories from the city as well. Uh, it's very different music. Yeah, and, and I know that in the past I've listened to Rid of Me and to Stories from the City a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a very different 
perception of her, her music. And, and so you can imagine how surprised I was when I heard uh, the Hope Six Demolition Project for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. The same with Lad England Shake and White Chalk, which is also quite different. Yeah, yeah, White Chalk is very different as well. Um, okay, brilliant. So we're on we're on one out one out of three, but question four might be the one to to steal yeah. it back. Which album is the only UK number one achieved by PJ Harvey? That would have to be a guess. My guess will be Stories from the City. That's a that's a bloody good guess, but unfortunately, it's not. If I hadn't done the research for this episode, I would have guessed it was Stories from the City yeah. as well. Um, it isn't. But it's not. It's un- It's quite surprising. It's uh, the Hope Six Demolition Project. Really? Yeah. The, every album she's released in the UK has has yeah. done has done a little bit better commercially. Um, but maybe that is, and that's not to be cynical about it. But um, the number of CDs that are being sold nowadays is nothing compared to what got sold in the past, and I think that also changes these kind of things quite a bit. Right. So you may have a number one with selling a number that would never get you in that place 15 right. years ago. Sure, yeah, 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 that's that's very true. Yeah. But I, I don't want to be cynical, you know, as I said a few times, I love that album. Oh, look, she still had more number ones than you and I, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I really thought the stories from the city did a lot better because certainly when I was, I was in my late teens when that came out and I remember yeah. that album a lot. And I remember a lot of the a lot of the tunes from that album being played on the radio a lot, and so that was the sound of PJ Harvey that I went into this episode um, in my mind. Uh, yeah, and I remember that CD, seeing that everywhere in record stores. Yeah, yeah, it was big, not big enough. Not to number, number one. one. No. All right. Okay. Question five. Last chance. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think this is the tough. This is the hardest one, but you might surprise me. Um, All right. I think this is a toughie. In two thousand and three. Polly Jean featured on the track Cruel Home by which alternative rock collective? 2003, you see? Yeah, 2003, and the song was called Cruel Home. Cruel Home, Cruel Home. Um, let me think, because I have been reading through a collaboration she did. Now, I'm afraid I cannot answer that one. Oh, no. Cruel Home. Is it Desert Sessions? It is the Desert Sessions. It was in it was in the back of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of five. Two out of five. It's, it's not good, but it's much better than I expected myself. It's it's two more than I would have done if I hadn't written the questions. <laughs> so <laughs> that's very good. Um, but the book that you're reading is that is that biographical? Well, um, she says it's not, but it's uh, situated in Dorset. Um, so I imagine uh, that memories, childhood memories of her uh, must have crept into it. Um, I think everything anyone writes will always have some autobiographical elements, uh, but it's only the writer who knows what's really autobiographical and what isn't, isn't it? Right, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it's, but it's not where you would have sort of read about the Desert Sessions or anything like that? No, 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 no. No, no, no. no I, I was reading just through the internet, um, and I tried to to pick up as many things as I as I could uh, preparing for this. I didn't want to go down with no right answer, but it's very difficult <laughs> because you know you you cannot really prepare for something like this. 
yeah two two out of five is not bad at all um as i said i said before i started that i think they're pretty tough questions yeah um and i do pride myself on how tough they are and i'm always a bit disappointed <laughs> in myself if someone gets five out of five i'm a bit disappointed in myself Doesn't happen often. <laughs> only a handful of people have had five but i think if you follow a band or an artist for a very long time then you have a much better chance because you know you then you have read so much and you keep reading the same kind of things yeah and then you probably wouldn't have to put any effort in, any effort into it well pj also different artists different artists are um some are easier and some are harder to 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 really find out all the information about them pj harvey is a very difficult artist to research because she's very reserved and yeah. there aren't any there aren't many uh, in fact, there aren't any kind of reveal-all articles about her. There's so much unsaid and so much that she keeps close to her chest. But one of the things that I think also sets her apart from a lot of other artists is I find that many artists who, for instance, release an album every year um, just release too much stuff, you know, and then they release songs that maybe they shouldn't have released and make the rest of the output better. Yeah, I think in the early years she was a bit more. Um, uh, they they came out a bit faster. The first three yeah. or four records came out came out pretty quick. Um, well, from from the earlier albums, my favourite is Dry because yeah. it is more poppy, as you say, more yeah. catchy tunes. The one I like the least of those three is Rid of Me because it's very rough, and maybe it just needs some more listening. To bring you my love is, I think, a big step forward, but it's not really. Um, if you ask me, it's not really an album as such. Um, I think later albums from White Chalk onwards really have that album quality where all the songs more or less merge into, into one, you know, one big thing. Um, but I think To Bring You My Love is a big step forward from Rid of Me and I think Is This Desire is a big step forward still. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're right. I think the sort of White Chalk, um, Let England Shake and Hope Six Demolition Project, they're much more... Um, much much more co coherent, I would say. Coherent, that's a great word. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> I think it's, it's a bit like, like Sergeant Pepper or OK Computer, you know, where the songs, yeah, they're... they're, they're Almost conceptual to... in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brilliant. They belong together. Let's put it like that. They belong together, yeah. So two, two out of five, not bad at all. You should be proud of yourself. Uh, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know um, PJ Harvey's music that well, yeah. how would you sum it up in a couple of sentences to get people interested? Well, I think um, listening to the latest albums and looking at the videos of, of concerts uh, where she was performing those albums, uh, what really sets her apart for me is the combination of music, lyrics, and the way the performance looks on stage which blends into one in, in a way um, I cannot think of any other, any other artist uh, where you can see that. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jan. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you, Jan. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that delve into to PJ Harvey. And if you're a PJ Harvey mm -hmm. fan, please get in touch and let us know how you did out of my five questions. And if they were, they were good questions or not. The feedback we had from our last episode, I think it was the last episode, was our last episode typo negative? I think it was. The feedback we have from typo negative has, has been amazing. 
really good. People people loved it. It's such nice people, typo negative fans. Great feedback on uh, on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and all the all the regular places. Nothing nothing lengthy, so I don't think there's anything anything too great to to read out. Let me just take a quick look. We had some comments on I believe this is on Reddit. This is Trio Me Crazy. I don't don't believe that's their Christian name, but uh, that's their birth name. But Trio Me Crazy said as a long-time typo fan, I really appreciate the discussion you guys had. It was a good listen. Thank you. Another person said, going to give it a listen. Listening now, pretty good. <laughs> um, we've got lots of thank yous, thank yous. From Beth Hillyard on uh, Facebook said, awesome. Glad to hear you picked them. What made you pick them for the latest episode? This was great. So thank you very much for all, for all that feedback. We also had somebody on Reddit comment. This is Mellowdeath999 said please do lamb of god next time and also do children of bottom and slipknot in flames and otep <laughs> i mean that's a lot of requests i'm guessing that they're requesting all of those because they enjoyed listening to the episode and, and they would like us to, to to research these other artists as well i would be interested in doing lamb of god to be honest i've always been intrigued by lamb of god and uh would like to spend two weeks researching them and listening to more of their music i think slipknot would be a really interesting one to do but uh, there's a lot of mm, how do I say this without making enemies? Don't know if I could handle uh, all the Slipknot fans. <laughs> Slipknot were very different when I was a kid. Like, I I discovered Slipknot when they started. Yeah, when they kicked off their debut album, I thought was phenomenal. But there weren't many of us loving that. But when their debut album came out, they were obscure and a bit different, and there didn't seem to be anyone else like Slipknot. By the time Iowa came out, I think they'd already built up this kind of. Uh, this this fan base they they got this whole new fan base when when Iowa came about that uh, were not the same people necessarily that I was hanging out with that were listening to other bands of that style yeah I don't know if uh, I think Slipknot would be a really interesting one but also not sure I could handle perhaps saying something offensive about Slipknot and then losing all of our listeners because we did an episode on a band that with a very volatile fan base. <laughs> But yeah, great suggestions. Send your suggestions in. We can be contacted everywhere. But the easiest way to contact us is if you head to superfannews.net and go to contact and you can fill out the form there and get in touch with us. Uh, or you can reach us on the socials. And even if you don't want to contact us, please still follow us. Go to Twitter, superfancast1 on Twitter and follow us because we're very active there and we're building up a nice community there. And uh, we'd love to love to see you. Go to superfannews.net if you have an opinion about an album or an artist and you want to leave a review. We are building a community there of fans, passionate fans, who are tired of traditional music media. And we're providing a platform for a new generation of music media, which is fan-submitted. So it's all unfiltered, unbiased, fan-written reviews. No journalists. And the more traffic we get there, the the quicker we can build this site, and and we can we can shake up the the music media world. So please head over to superfannews.net. Tell your friends, tell your gran, tell your dog. Get them all to sign up and start submitting reviews for your favorite albums. Get a platform for for your for your content. Hope to see you on the socials, and hope to see you in two weeks' time for our next deep dive, which is going to be the B52s. Can you believe it? <laughs> I said to Matt, there is no way that you found a super fan for the B-52s. But uh, he's, he's convinced. Really look forward to that. It's going to be going to be fun. It's going to be a real fun episode. 
look forward to hanging out with you again in a couple of weeks until then stay safe keep rocking and we'll see you next time bye bye